Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Excited today to have some folks from Hilltop Securities. I got Tim Nelson and Braxton Parsons. Guys, how's it going? Good. Doing great. Good. Good to have you both. Um, if you want to quickly just uh, maybe give a little bit of background about your experience and uh, and then what you're focused on today, and then we'll go from there. Well, I'll start. This is uh, Tim Nelson. I'm a managing director with Hilltop Securities. I've been uh, working in the affordable housing industry uh, in both uh, the single family and multifamily arenas, if you will, uh, for coming up on 40 years. And uh, happy to be uh, here today uh, talking about workforce housing. And uh, I'm Braxton Parsons, uh, Assistant Vice President at Hilltop Securities. Um, I work you know, with Tim in the affordable housing uh, kind of sector here at, at Hilltop. And, and prior to, to being here at Hilltop, I administered the private activity bond program for the uh, state of Texas uh, for you know, about five years, uh, which had a, a focus you know, on the uh, 4% um, tax credit transactions and, uh, you know, tax exempt bonding authority for those, those same transactions. Awesome. Well, great. Um, well, I think it's been, it's been a hot topic as of recently. And I, and I, I think there's a little misperception in the sense that um, I think there's some owners and, and bridge loans that uh, think maybe the, the PFC route, uh, public facility corporation may be a silver bullet, but I think it's got some tailwinds as well. Um, or, or some headwinds. Uh, so I just want to get a little bit into, you know, public facility corporations, um, what, what you guys do, how, how you're helping owners and developers in that space. And I guess we just start with what is a PFC? Well, I, I would say, again, br- broadly, we ought to talk about when you look at workforce housing or, frankly, even uh, tax credit deals, um, both housing finance corporations as well as housing authorities. And housing authorities will typically do those deals through a public facilities corporation. And and HFCs are formed under uh, 394 um, statute, Chapter 394. Uh, Housing authorities are under 392. And if you're uh, just like a city or some other entity, you can you can also set these up under I think um, chapter uh, 303. But th- they're all set up um, to to achieve uh, the same goals or can achieve the same goals. All right. Um, and just you know, I guess. Uh... How are you guys helping owners in, in that space? Or, you know, uh, my understanding is you're a consultant and, um, and and are helping bring these partnerships together. Well, we're we're um, we're a financial advisor to about forty uh, different housing finance corporations and public facility corporations around Texas, and the role that we're trying to play is to make sure that. These deals are put together so that hopefully they um, uh, benefit um, the, these these uh, middle income uh, renters because that's what the uh, that's what the statute is, is is set up for among other things is to provide uh, clean, safe, affordable housing to uh, to people that that uh, that need the assistance. 
And so how we end up doing that under, under the statute, and this is the case whether you're looking at 394 or 392 or 303, is that you have to be providing a public benefit. And how we analyze uh, whether or not the transaction is providing public benefit is we're looking for a rent savings. And how we analyze that is you're required under the statute to set aside uh, 50% of the units to those people who are making at or below 80% of the area median income. And so we're hoping that we're looking at a property that has rents that are currently being charged that are above 80% AMFI. And obviously when you come in and then reduce the rents on half of the units to under 80, that's where you're creating uh, that rent subsidy. The other thing that we look for, depending upon the facts and circumstances on the deal, is whether or not there's any uh, rehab that's, that's being done. Uh, clearly, if it's a brand new deal, some of the deals that we're looking at are just just leasing up or having just been completed construction. They're probably not going to need much in the way of, of rehab, but we also see other deals that were built you know, 20 years ago or whatever and may not have had um, a whole lot of uh, uh, CapEx invested in them yet. And so we, we look to kind of analyze, again, whether or not are we improving the living conditions, basically, of, of the folks that are living in these these properties. Uh, the third thing that we take a look at is whether or not there's any social services that are being provided, after-school programs, computer training, um, uh, child care. I mean, again, it, it could be a broad range of services, but basically looking for things that, again, would not be provided, but for the involvement of our, uh, of our uh, governmental entity client. And what's the process look like from start to finish? How, how long does it take? You know, what's, what's the process look like? Well, it depends. It depends on, uh, on the transaction. Some of these are, are, are deals that a developer might already be involved in the ownership. Um, those can take, uh, much longer. We're actually working on a, a couple of deals that we started working on with the developer, um, last summer. And so, um, those could take a little bit longer, uh, more from the standpoint of, because you're already, you're already in the ownership. It isn't like you're on an artificial uh, deadline. Like if you're, if you're buying a property, you probably have a, um, a PSA or something with, with the seller that says, here's the process. I'm going to give you 30 days or whatever to do due diligence. And then you've got to start putting a uh, hard money at risk. And, you know, I want to close in a relatively short period of time. So I, I would say it depends upon whether or not uh, we're dealing with a property that's currently owned by the developer or whether or not uh, they're bidding on a, a, a property that's, that's going through a marketing period. So uh, I would say probably three to four months on the, uh, on the shorter end uh, of the curve, but could, could go out as long as, uh, nine to 12 months, just depending on the facts and circumstances of the deal. <clears throat> yeah. But is it a joint venture agreement? Like as far as like, if there's already an org structure in place and, you know, maybe it's you know, a typical GP LP structure, um, and, and, um, 
and, and I guess this is probably different. Again, probably most of the audience is uh, their value add investors. So maybe they already own the property today. Maybe they're they're looking to acquire and and make that partnership with a with a PFC. But w- I guess what does that look like from a uh, organization structure, legal structure standpoint? Yeah, I'd say most of ours are are being set up as a, a as a partnership. And our client is the general partner of that of that partnership. Um, uh, our, our client would also typically own the land and lease that back to the partnership for a 75 to 99 year period. The partnership typically uh, owns the improvements. And then our client in their role as a general partner would have various options um, to compel uh, ownership and would also typically have a right of first refusal if there is a third party that comes in and puts an offer uh, on the property. And and usually that's being done not because our our clients want to build a real estate empire, but more to help buttress the uh, the argument that uh, uh, not the argument, but the, the the case for why we're getting uh, the tax abatement because because you you have to. You have to have a governmental governmental entity owning um, owning the property, and so if they don't own it outright, you have to make sure you have the uh, the ability to compel ownership, and that that's how we do it in these deals. Okay, well, the typical value add investor is modeling, you know, a five year hold period for them and their investors. So, what happens? If they want to sell in three to five years, um, I, I assume the ground lease stays in place. Is there a you know an approval process, or what does that look like? Well, the way we typically structure the deals is again, you've got a partnership, you've got um, what I would call true sort of true equity, limited partners. That's the money, if you will. We then have a Class B uh, limited, which is typically going to be the 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 party that is promoting the deal if you will and and uh, we would put them in in that role we would assign over all of the typical general partnership duties and responsibilities um, over to that party and then again our our client would be involved as the general partner when you look at people's ability to exit we normally don't have, we either have no or very little of sort of approval um, uh, if the equity wants to leave. Our, our view is that everybody's money is the same color. Um, so we're, we're not going to be so concerned if it's party A or if it's party B. If the class B limited wants to move, wants to exit the deal, then we very definitely want to have um, approval rights uh, on that. And, and again, if the property is going to be sold, um, uh, obviously, we uh, all of us have to be involved, all of us being the equity investors, Class B Limited, and the general partner involved in that and, 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 and agreeing. And that could either be sold out to just the open market, that, that it's going to go market rate, it can also be sold into another partnership uh, whereby our, our client would continue to be involved as the general partner, but it would just be in a, in a different partnership. So I think those are the, if you want to look at exit strategies for the various parties, that's, 
that's typically what you see. I, I will tell you that that uh, in terms of the overall deal, our clients do like to see um, sort of a minimum ten year uh, time period. So that's what I'm saying. At the end of five years, we'd be fine with equity leaving. Um, they probably would not be happy if the class be limited. So essentially, you're you're playing uh, you're you're like a broker in this case and representing the finance corporations. Um, who do you, I guess, who pays the, the fee in this scenario? Does the finance corporation, does the sponsor, the developer? And then what do those fees look like or do they just vary? Well, I'd say overall, when you look at at these transactions, again, we're looking at, let's call it a million dollars if that's the annual tax abatement. And I'm just using that because it makes the math easier for me. We typically look for our clients' economics to be 20% of the taxes being uh, abated. And we sit down and do a a calculation of that over a 15 year period using the cap rate that in most cases, the, the, the CAD will publish what their, what their rates are. So the developer would provide us with a pro forma and the proposed rents, which would incorporate this, this uh, 50 at 80, uh, if, if that's what we end up with. And then we take the NOI on that, cap it at whatever the whatever the CAD uh, says is the appropriate cap rate, and come up with the taxes abated. We're looking for our client to get 20% of those economics. That's typically uh, broken up into a couple of, of different streams, if you will. There's typically a fee paid at closing that, that that's 50 to 75 basis points of the purchase um, uh, or the value of the property. Um, they, we also typically build in a ground lease payment that, uh, that again, is approximately 15% of the taxes abated. And then we also build in a uh, what we call a partnership management fee of uh, $10,000 a year, which basically pays for uh, accounting, insurance, and other uh, things that have to be done in order for our clients to provide uh, this service, but in total, all of that's going to uh, come in and be about twenty um, percent uh, of the taxes abated. Our fees, they'll be they'll be on the issuer side, if you will, or the general partner side. Um, there will be two parties that are involved. That's going to be the general partner council. They're they're providing all of the legal assistance for our client, and then the financial advisor. Uh, component which we provide, both of those fees are a total of one hundred and twenty-five thousand, uh, and twenty-five thousand of that is due when our when our client and the developer sign a memorandum of understanding, which is normally, uh, again, sort of what starts this off. The process would normally be if we don't go into the year-long or the longer process. Somebody comes to us with a, a deal they want to do. We spend a week or two uh, going through the analytics, reviewing that with the, with the, I'll call them the sponsor. And then um, assuming that we can all agree that it does work and our client wants to proceed forward, we prepare a, um, a memorandum of understanding, which goes through all of the uh, uh, deal points, legal and financial, that gets taken to our client's board for approval. That typically occurs within um, 30 days, call it, 
I'd say that whole process of analyzing and taking it to our client takes 30 days. Assuming the client approves it, we then go through on our side and put together um, all of the limited partnership agreement and related documents. There's a regulatory agreement that outlines all of the uh, unit restrictions, and, and that'll be a recorded document. We've got ground leases. Uh, again, these, these various uh, uh, option agreements, right of first refusal agreements. On the developer side, they will bring all of the uh, the financing related, I'm assuming we'll have some sort of a loan um, that, that's being uh, uh, done here. And then um, that that process typically takes another, whatever, month or two, uh, depending upon uh, who you're who you're working with. If it's a, if it's one of the agencies, we see a lot of Fannie and Freddie uh, financing that could take a little bit longer. If you're doing that with a bank or somebody else, it might be um, a little bit shorter uh, process. Braxton, this question is for you. I, I know uh, PFCs are in front of legislator right now. And uh, in my understanding, there's four options, either full repeal immediately, full repeal at the end of the year, an amendment to the program or, or nothing. Um, I, I guess, what do, you, what do you expect to happen or, or what's going on uh, in the back end as far as uh, the scrutiny that's going on right now with the program? Sure, Mark, thanks. Um, and you're right, there are several you know, kind of bills going through both the House and the Senate that, that, um, that would affect you know, the PFCs and their ability to kind of partake in these partnership transactions. Um, really, it's, it's been, um, I know there is the, the kind of full repeal bill, bill that was proffered by, you know, Senator Betancourt, and just through discussions that I've had just with, you know, different um, you know, lobbyists and uh, people at you know, the ledge there, the, the last thing that really anyone wants to do is really get rid of the, the program in, in its entirety. I mean, there is, there is understanding from the ledge and everyone involved that, you know, there are, you know, benefits to, to these type of transactions that bring in affordable housing to that kind of, you know, in quotations, missing middle. Um, what, what really is likely to happen is going to be adjustments to the actual program. Um, I believe, uh, right now there's House Bill, uh, 2071. That's the Jet, uh, Jeton Bill. That, that is most likely to move forward um, as of right now. And it does add kind of additional income restrictions requiring more 60% units in these in these type of transactions instead of just the half at 80% AMI. Um, that can be make these uh, transactions a little more difficult to pencil for sure. But I mean, that does really kind of show that there is a, a solid pr- public purpose uh, for these type of transactions to move forward. Uh, I think that that bill also has a little bit more kind of uh, renovation requirements um, to, to be put in, which can also make things a little bit difficult to pencil. But again, they're really trying to kind of push that there is a public purpose in, in these transactions to, to ensure that, the, you know, a tax abatement is warranted. If there ever is a full repeal, how does that affect the general partner? Or how would that play out? Well, I mean, for anything through the ledge at this point, I mean, if it's not um, – Pass unanimously, then it would go into effect September 1st of, of you know 2023. So really, any closings that would occur prior to that would be able to go through with the current legislation. It's very difficult to unwind uh, what, what's been done through through legislative process. So typically, they okay. they don't do that. So they they would just have anything closing past September 1st would have to follow the new transaction rules. Okay, so so a you know pfc deal from two years ago that was that was put in effect uh would not unwind and you know property taxes would would not uh i guess be unabated and and you know ground lease removed or anything like that 
Correct. I mean, that, that would be a very difficult process to go through for the you know, several, sure. I, would, I mean, over the last several years, I'm assuming, you know, hundreds of transactions through the full state of Texas. Uh, that, that would just be a, a very difficult process for the, the comptroller to track, the attorney general to ensure that that is happening correctly. And that's, that's why they usually just don't retroactive bills like that. Okay. Well, great. I, I think we, uh, we hit very high level on PFCs and probably enough to gauge some interest. Uh, so what's the best way for listeners to reach out to you guys or what's the best way for them to uh, get in touch? Um, I think if, uh, if they're interested in, in the program, I would say uh, sending uh, an, an email over to us. Um, my my uh, email address is Tim dot nelson at hilltop securities all spelled out uh dot com and then uh uh we'll no doubt get a call set up uh, to go through more details and get the uh the rest of the group more involved but i would think that's the best way to get the process started all right very good well thank you all for your time have a great weekend and look forward to keeping in touch all right thank you great thank you